friends. Welcome to episode 83 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm Dara Swift, and I want to warmly welcome you and thank you for joining me for this very first episode of 2022. I wish you a happy new year, but more importantly, I wish for you a joyous new year because we can't do happy all the time, but joy isn't fleeting like happiness. It's a gift from God. We have it forever and always. The subject matter on today's show is not meant for little ears, so if you have littles in the car with you or wherever you're listening in, it's probably good to listen in later, but you may want to listen in yourself first, then consider sharing the show with your teens and your adults, or at least having a conversation with them about what we're talking about today. But before we get into the show, I want to share that Fierce Calling is part of the Spark Network and available on the Edify app where you can listen to this show and other amazing Christian podcasts. So download the app today on the Apple or Google Play stores and start listening in to some incredible Christian podcasts. My guest today is Rosie McKinney, founder of Fight for Love Ministries. Now, pornography addiction is an epidemic of epic proportions, and it not only affects people outside the church, but those sitting in church each week have also fallen into this dark pit. But there is hope. We have these mixed messages from the world that'll tell us it's harmless, it's normal, it can spice up a marriage. But you know, those are lies because porn causes destruction, devastation, and is detrimental to marriages. And Rosie's ministry specifically helps wives of porn addicts know that they're not alone, empowers them with facts and resources, and enables them to effectively fight against porn and to fight for their marriages because a porn-free marriage is possible. And Rosie knows this because she's been there. So I want you to hear her tell her own personal story about how porn tore her first marriage apart and threatened to do it again in her second, but she wasn't going to have it. And she fought back. And you're going to also hear about how porn rewires your brain, just like other addictive drugs. And she has a lot of statistics and information about that. And I know what Rosie has to share will encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Rosie McKinney. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. Today, I have my friend with me, Rosie McKinney. I am so excited and have been looking forward to this very important episode that you will want to stay tuned throughout the entire time that we're talking here. She's an author, speaker, and she's the host of the Fight for Love podcast and founder of Fight for Love Ministries, which empowers women with both the facts and faith to fight against porn addiction and its effects on them, their spouses, and their families. Welcome to the show, Rosie. It's so great to have you on. Thank you for having me, Doris. It's so lovely to be here. I love your show. Oh, thank you so much. And I love yours as well. And it's just amazing that we can come together and talk about really serious subjects because it's a ministry and God wants to bring hope into the lives of those who need healing. And so I'm just thankful and grateful for you to be on today. And I would love, Rosie, if you would share a little bit about your story and through this ministry work you're doing, how you're taking action, where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Sure. So my story started way back, way before I became a Christian. And uh, my experience of being in a porn-affected relationship actually spans over two relationships. So one before I became a Christian and one afterwards. 
And the first one, I had to learn everything the hard way. So I was in a long-term relationship with an unrepentant porn addict. And basically the problem was me. My problem was the fact that I had a problem with it. You know, nobody else has a problem. Everybody's doing this. Um, I shouldn't have been looking in the first place when I discovered it. Um, uh, But when I did discover it, it was like I started to connect the dots because I think so often we assume that if our partners are being distant or detached or dissatisfied or critical or resentful, there's got to be some validity to their resentment or anger or criticalness. Like there's got to be something wrong that they're being critical about. Um, And if your partner is using pornography, it's just not true. Um, But, you know, studies have now proven that 76 percent of partners of porn addicts do think at some point that it is their fault and quite often they tell us it's our fault you know if you were more like this if you could do this and blah 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 Um, so it's really hard to get to the point of actually taking effective action and I didn't know what to do I listened to the world because I wasn't a Christian there and they're like embrace it you know don't be a prude you could actually find this is liberating and empowering if you go along with it So I did all that and it wasn't making any difference. In fact, it seemed to be making him more dissatisfied and and angry. And I felt more and more inadequate and hopeless and helpless. And it was just miserable. So eventually that all fell apart. Mm. And then fast forward a little bit, I start going to church, trying to change my life. And actually I become a Christian. And then I meet the guy who is to become my husband. And you had that conversation, don't you? You know, what happened in your last relationship? So I tell him that I think, pornography took down our relationship and he goes rather quiet Mm. and then confesses that this has been a struggle for him too but he has sought help for it in the past and he doesn't want this to be an issue and that uh it definitely it's nothing to do with me and so naively I think well here I've got one of the good guys yes he's had a problem but he doesn't want it he's sought help we're going to get married I'm now a Christian he's been a pastor everything's going to be fine so we do, and we, get, and we go ahead and get married. Then it's very clear, sort of honeymoon clear, that the same invisible enemy that was in my previous relationship was very much here too. And he was, again, critical, distant, dissatisfied. And I was like, you can't fight an enemy you can't see. Mm. It, it was, and I think I had what was, I now know is a trauma reaction. I was just like, no, I can't do this again. And I laid down this very firm boundary, like, You can have pornography or you can have me, but you cannot have both because I have been in this cycle before. I know where it leads and I'm not doing it again. So that was the right thing to do, but I didn't know it was the right thing to do at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just did it inadvertently because of what I'd learned in the previous one. So then we get into recovery and, you know, after a lot of hard work, things improve. And then we're like, well, let's, you know, we felt like God had given us this experience to bless others so we'd go out and and we started groups and we started speaking and stuff and it hit me how many women are suffering in silence for years trying to fix this on their own not only listening to those messages that you hear in the world like you know just embrace it it's fine but actually the messages that we're hearing in the church like you can help him avoid temptation if you just make yourself more sexually available if you truly understand and truly love and forgive and, and create this loving environment, you can actually 
love him enough that he won't need to do any pornography. And it's just not true. It's actually the, you know, the counter advice that you should be receiving. Guys who are addicted to pornography, they don't need more sex. The, the, the two aren't interchangeable. They don't need more grace. They don't need more forgiveness. Yes, they might need understanding. However, what they need are boundaries. And that was the foundation of my ministry. It's like, let's get to the women and give them this message of truth, but grace, and help them do early intervention as opposed to waiting to crisis management where you do that enough, you know, sort this out or that's it. Yeah. Wow. I love what you were saying about how when this pattern arose again, when you noticed that this pattern was happening and was revealed that you laid down some ground rules about it and that you didn't really know that those were the right things to say or the right things to do because there wasn't things out there that you could probably find because now your ministry is doing that for women. But, you know, it's so amazing how the Holy Spirit gave you boldness to just say those things, which are hard because you think of, okay, what could the outcome be? And it could be, you know, another failed marriage because Absolutely. of porn. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and here's the crazy thing. So it, it wasn't just another, you know, failed relationship. I had literally just made my vows in front of everybody and God, and I was a baby Christian. And so it was really important to me. Yeah. Um, I'd also given up my job and my flat and my car and most of my possessions and my name because I was moving to America. So literally it would, that moment of enough was like, it was like stepping off a cliff. You know, I got back from honeymoon. I called a divorce lawyer and I froze the bank account. And it's like, I mean, business, like I am not doing this again. I don't care that I have just literally put everything in my life on the line for this relationship. It is not happening again. So, and that has to be God because no one in their right mind would actually stand up at that point. They'd go, right. Wow. That's true. Because you came to another country. And so what was the turning point when your husband was agreeable to seek that help? Because he had sought help before, but it wasn't evidently as powerful as when you did this together. Yeah. And here's the thing. Uh, The secret that everybody on this side of recovery knows and learns the hard way is that most of the guys in recovery arrive in the therapist's office with the footprint of their partner or their wife on their back. It is their, you know, it's the partner's pain and desperation that finally shoves them through the door when they, when they draw that firm line, because even though guys, you know, many of them want to give this up, they've tried, they have tried and tried and tried on their own. And there's a part of their brain that that goes, if I try and fail, I'm going to lose her. So I can't even go near that because I, you know, I've tried in my own strength and it doesn't make any difference. I must be uniquely broken. You know, I hear these stories of recovery, but it does, it's not true for me. So the thing that, that changed it for me, for him rather, was me just being so firm. And you don't, that, that firmness does not come normally at the beginning of a relationship unless you've done what I've done and just done it in a previous relationship. So what I want to do is empower and equip and encourage women to, to get to that place, that place of education and resolve early 
through really understanding what it is that they're dealing with and how it is actually the most loving thing for you, for him, for, for the whole, you know, your future, your family, for everybody to actually put those boundaries in and also understand that you need support to do it. So instead of doing a desperate, isolated ultimatum years in the future, do it now, do it educated, do it through, through sisters who will come alongside you and help you. Yeah. And what you were saying earlier, how there is this thing through even the church that will put it all on the woman, mm-hmm. put the blame on the woman. And when she feels that it's her fault or she's not doing enough or she's not the wife that God is calling her to be or that she's not living up to the expectation, she's not enough, then she would not have that boldness to stand and say, you know, I mean, she has, if she's a believer, she has the the power of the Holy Spirit, but the enemy speaks so loud. And especially when it's coming through people that are trusted advisors you know, that there are so many things that your ministry is dispelling, these myths. Um, Are there others too that you hear? Yeah, it's interesting. While you were talking, I was thinking one that we often get caught up in is, you know, we're told that we're meant to, you know, we will be suffering as Christians. But I don't believe this is meant to be suffering in your marriage. Because, you know, sometimes women are just like, well, I've just got to suffer well. That's what it means to be a good Christian. It's like, no, your husband is drowning. He can't reach out for help. He is literally drowning. You need to send the lifeboat now. That's your job. So just to suffer well, like watch him drown is not what is being, I, I believe, you called to do. And, and if you, the, the sort of foundational scripture that I use is 1 Peter 3. Shall I read it for you? Let me yes, find it for you, Doris. Yes. Okay. Because this was just revolutionary when I came across this. Okay, so 1 Peter 3, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Now, I understand on first reading, that probably doesn't sound like awfully good news. (laughs) However, let's, let's dig into it. So first of all, it's acknowledging that yes, wives are to submit to their husband, but your primary submission is to God. God's really, really clear what he thinks about sexual immorality, mm. and he's commanding you to keep yourself pure. So should you have sex with your husband when, he, when you know he's just been looking at pornography and he's using you? Should you try and compete with it? Should you watch it with him? I don't think this is what God is calling us. I think he's calling us to keep ourselves pure and away from what is demonic worship. Let's call it what it is. Right. Um, and... It says that by keeping ourselves pure, they may be won over without a word by by watching us live our pure and reverent lives. And here's the really cool bit, Doris. That last bit, reverent, is actually a word phobos in Greek. And in the um, King James Version, it's translated as fear. Now, when I first read that, I was like, hang on a minute. So does that mean wives are supposed to live pure lives in fear? Huh? How's that work? Like that doesn't go along with my whole theory that God put boundaries in. You can't be fearfully putting like, you know, and sometimes it's, it's uh, translated as respect. Like we've got to respect our husbands. That's what will win them over. You've got to be respectful and fearful of them. And I'm like, "Mm, not sure. So I asked my husband who went to seminary, I said, do you know anybody who's good at Greek? Like I need some help here. And so he asked a friend, a professor and, uh, and we just asked him out of context, what does this word phobos mean in this passage? And he came back and he said, 
Yes, it means in fear, but it doesn't mean the wife's fear. It means the husband's fear. Mm -hmm. So when he sees your pure behavior, it says, because of the way that, because of the way Greek is grammatical, you can have words that go together that aren't necessarily adjacent. So actually it translates, it translates to be when he in fear observes your pure behavior. So basically by you standing firm and keeping yourself pure, putting your boundaries in, say this is not happening in our marriage, we'll put the fear of God in him. And that's how we win him over without a word. It's not up to you to convince him to sort of persuade his porn hijack brain that this is a good, you know, a good idea that he give it up. You, you don't have to do that, but you don't have to do the convicting. All you have to do is obey the word of God, stand firm on that, and he'll do the rest. And isn't that just the coolest thing ever? That is the coolest thing ever. And what a powerful verse that is. And to unpack it like that and to really bring truth of what it truly means, because that has been taken out of context so many times and misconstrued and misused. And so speak to that, what you were kind of talking about earlier, that the brain gets hijacked when you work, when you watch porn, it's an addiction. So speak to that a little bit, because that is uh, really important for people to know that too. It is. And I think it helps you start to have compassion for your husband. Like, why does he keep doing this? He says he loves me and he knows it upsets me and yet he keeps doing this. So to actually understand sort of neurochemically what is happening inside the brain does help you make that sort of paradigm shift into, okay, he is addicted. Because it's hard, isn't it, to think, well, he's not injecting anything. He's not ingesting. He's not smoking. How can he be addicted to something you're watching? Mm. And the reason it happens is that the way our reward center of our brain works is that when we do something that furthers our survival, like we eat or have sex, we are rewarded. We are biochemically rewarded. These happy chemicals are released into the brain, which basically keep us alive and you know, keeps the species continuing. It's really clever. Unfortunately, it can be hijacked by pornography. And watching pornography releases the same chemicals in the brain as it would as if you were having a real sexual encounter. Um, but here's the thing with normal, the way that the, the, the brain is designed to work, there is an off switch. So eventually you're going to come out of the bedroom and out of the dining room and get back on with your life. But with pornography, there is no off switch. All you need to do to keep these, to keep another surge of happy chemicals coming and another surge and another surge is to click on something novel, something new, something, maybe something more shocking, you know, if you've become tolerant to it mm. and you can literally binge for days. So this is not sexual junk food. Mm. This is actually rewiring your neural pathways and making the connection between pornography and pleasure so fast and so strong that soon nothing else competes with it. And that's why it's really important that teenagers don't get into it because the brain is restructuring in your teens and it's deciding what's important to strengthen and what's a, a you know less important. You know, shall I concentrate on learning the piano or shall I just concentrate on pornography? And the brain will decide. Mm. So the brain, um, the neural pathways become strengthened. We become sensitized to pornographic cues. But the brain... Uh, it has safety mechanisms. So because we're never designed for these crazy high levels of chemicals, it starts to fight back. 
And it does this in a way where it actually numbs some of the pleasure receptors to those happy chemicals. So in the same way that as a fire truck screams, you know, the fire truck goes, wow, down the road we put our hands over our ears that's what's happening in the brain so that the chemicals that are released are no longer as effective so you need more of the chemical to get the same hit mm-hmm. and that increases so the drug that you're using is progressively less effective so you need to go on darker stuff more shocking more taboo to get more of a hit and then eventually because there's another safety mechanism which is like a break like chemical that is released that says, whoa, we're going to slow everything down here. That can actually pull down your baseline of happiness for everything. So now you need your drug to even feel normal. Your drug is not as effective. So you're just stuck in this spiral. The more you do, the more the brain fights back, the more the brain fights back, the more drug you need, and you just get stuck in this. And then the final kicker, if if you thought it couldn't get any worse, um, There is a condition called hypofrontality, which is the same thing that you get when you have a head-on collision. And basically, this shrinks your gray matter. You are no longer able to think straight. So the part of your brain that makes logical, rational decisions, like, I know my wife doesn't like this. I'm going to lose my job if I keep doing this at work. I may even crash the car because I can't stop doing it while I'm driving. The brain goes, nah, it'll be fine, because it's no longer weighing up those consequences as it would if you hadn't addled your brain. So hopefully that just gives you compassion to how utterly in bondage and enslaved addicts become. But the good news is it is reversible. All that damage is reversible. You can recover. So it's not game over at all, but it does give us extra impetus to stand up and fight for our marriages when our husbands are unable to think straight and pull themselves out of the swamp. They need you. They really, really need you to to be that catalyst for healing. That is fascinating how all that goes together. And it does bring a feeling of empathy, compassion, that someone is, like you said, drowning and needs help. So what would be a first step that a, a wife would take? Because I know that I've seen in the information when you talk about your book and how your book is to help in this area and kind of like a guidebook and a help because there wasn't anything like that before. Uh, The fact being when there's porn in your marriage, your marriage is no longer really monogamous. It's Mm -hmm. you've got other people in your marriage with you that you don't even know. So, uh, so talk to that um, part of it, Rosie, what right now a woman who is listening has a suspicion, doesn't even know for sure, what would she do? What would be a good step for her to take? I love, I am going to answer that question, but if I may, I just want to take a moment and just piggyback on your statement that your relationship is no longer monogamous because we know that we feel like that, but you do hear, don't you, a lot of time, well, it's not as bad as though he was cheating. You know, it's not as bad. Here's the thing. Our brain actually responds as though he was physically cheating on you. When there is a rupture in your relationship with your primary attachment figure, your brain registers that as a primal survival threat. So you're not going crazy. You're not overreacting. It is in your mind as though he is cheating. And as we've now established in his brain, he's now reacting as though he was cheating. So 
let's just, you know, take that whole pornography. It's not a big deal off the table. Mm-hmm. So back to the steps. I would say, well, your over your overarching goal is to stand firm and draw a firm line of zero tolerance on pornography as soon as you can. However, that's really difficult to do. You're dealing with a porn addict whose brain's been addled, highly likely you're going to get some pushback. So you need to be strengthened before you do that because your brain has been traumatized. And, uh, you know, the majority of guys, I wish they went, oh, darling, I've been so waiting to have this conversation. Thank you so much for bringing it up. Doesn't happen very often. So you need to be really resolved, confident, supported, encouraged, stable to be able to take that firm stand. And the way you do that is step one, educate yourself, you know, read the book. That's why I wrote it. It's like an idiot's guide for porn addiction for those people who, whose brains aren't really working that well at the time because you're so traumatized. It's like, it's a really quick, easy read. Everything that you didn't know you needed to know, but you do. Then step two, get supported, get get encouraged. And we have created a online support group. I think there's now 850 women in there. And that isn't a recovery group. We're not the actual recovery. We're not going to do the healing. However, we are like baby recovery. We're like the pre-recovery. We will come alongside you, hold your hand, pray for you, love on you, help you see through the lies that you might be thinking or the lies that you're being told um, and just get you on the road to recovery. Mm. So educate yourself, get support. And then step three, stand firm. And so we've tried to make it as simple as possible with the podcast and the book and the group. And and also we curate and vet resources of the healing. So all the ministries and counselors and therapists that will actually help you guys get this out of your marriage. Uh, We've done that work for you because we just we know what it's like when you, you suddenly you discover all this stuff and you go, I have no idea what to do. So we wanted to do all that legwork for you and also just come alongside you and go, you're not alone. You're not alone. There is hope porn free marriage is possible and worth fighting for you can do it that's amazing too how you have a support group and how there is prayer and support for women who are going through this and the book and the podcast it is powerful when you were saying several times throughout the show you're not alone because women can certainly feel like they're alone and this is just something that probably spiked during the pandemic as well. Have you seen a lot of that? Totally. And Mm -hmm. we actually launched our group earlier than we were going to. We were going to launch it in June, but then when COVID hit, we were like, oh no, we need to launch this. So we launched it in March instead. Mm. Um, Because now we've got people stuck at home and not able to normally access their coping mechanism. And things have got pretty it's like a pressure cooker things got pretty you know heated up so we needed we were like we need to have a a place and also you know you've got those big porn companies who decided they would gift the world you know free subscription services Mm. and the the numbers of people actually accessing pornography subscription pornography globally shot up I mean you can see the statistics I mean it was you know just created a different sort of pandemic really yeah When you think about it, too, from the other end of the spectrum, that whole industry of porn is this money-making machine that is sex trafficking people. And it's just, it, it doesn't 
seem as sexy when you think about the fact that there's a director there that is telling whoever's on screen exactly what they to do, how to turn, what to do. I listened to a podcast episode that Abby Johnson had on her her podcast. She had a gentleman on there that came out of the porn industry. He went to become an actor and found himself even knowing that it was wrong to do this, found himself kind of drawn in. He thought when he was going to go to this studio that it was going to be some sleazy back alley kind of thing. And it was this big production company right across the way from, you know, a major production company that we watch shows that are produced all the time from, which was surprising to him. Yeah. you know, And, you know, you mentioned the director, you know, telling them what to do, but actually they are drugged and they are coerced of threat of, you know, you will never work again in this industry mm-hmm. and forced to do things that they never consented to. Mm-hmm. And if the stuff that actually happened on set happened in real life, those people would be behind bars. This is, I mean, if you haven't, you know, if you're fortunate enough to not have been exposed to this stuff, uh, it is mind blowing what pornography has become it is not two adults having consensual sex it is violent degrading humiliating misogynistic eroticized rage it is absolutely horrific and that the stuff that's now standard fare and I'm not going to get into what it is that our teenagers are now trying to emulate because they think that's what they need to and also their mm. brains are being conditioned to be aroused by it and the and the young girls are thinking well I need to do this is absolutely horrific it it really is it's uh yeah mind-blowing. And I love how your ministry too is making the awareness of the students, you know, the high schoolers, the the young people and girls who are getting drawn into this, where oftentimes they're kind of ignored and it's more like, oh, this is probably something boys will be getting involved in, but girls are also falling prey to this. And when you're that young, before your brain hasn't even had the opportunity to fully develop in the areas of where you're making good decisions or decision making, it just portrays a wrong way of the way that God designed sex to be between a man and a woman. And it it makes it dirty. It makes it something that I don't know, you know, it's just, it's not beautiful anymore. It's abusive. It's absolutely abusive. And the two directions that pornography is going in and that it has to keep progressing because people are getting tolerant and they're demanding more and more shocking stuff. It's getting younger and it's getting more violent. Mm. You know, we have scary statistics of how many women actually die in real life because they're being choked during sex. You know, it is impacting how people are now engaging sexually it is rippling out um, and we do we do need to present a counter narrative because this is the I think this is the devil's playground and he is getting our young people who are thinking this is sex education and it's it's anything but mm, yes yeah they're getting the education in the wrong places and how can churches come around people Rosie, how can churches um, help? Because I know that oftentimes it's not really discussed in churches. Yeah, great question. Great question. And I love that you brought up that, you know, young girls are now falling prey to this because they really are. And women are the fastest growing user group. So you think it's hard to talk about this in your marriage? 
try being a, you know, a teenager, a female teenager who's struggling with this. It's nearly impossible. I would say to churches, utilize the ministries that are out there and, uh, you know, let them do the hard work for you. And there are fantastic documentaries that you can bring to your church. That's what we did. There's uh, an organization called Fight the New Drug, and they have a three-part documentary that's free to stream. You might have to pay if you're, if you're showing it in public, but on an individual basis, free to stream called Brain Heart World. And you can take your, you know, 12-year-old up and watch it, you know, not only with your child, but with your child's peers and their, and their parents, everybody get on the same page. And then if you've got a local ministry who are doing this, get them in, get the speakers in. I mean, when we did it, we had a, we had a 20 year old girl who spoke, who talked about her experience of getting dragged into this at age 10. Her parents mm-hmm. have got no idea. She was on the ballet troop, the swimming team. She was an A student, uh, you know, made great decisions in the rest of her life, got no idea that this was going on under the surface because who would have thought to ask it? Okay. She got some problems going on and they didn't understand, mm. but never even thought to ask, you know, what are you doing on the computer in your room? Mm. Um, and just by her getting up and giving her testimony, you know, we had, uh, 10 year olds in the audience, girls then confessing to their parents on the way home in the car. This is what the church has got to do. We've got to get it out into the light and say, not be a witness because we don't have a porn problem, but be a witness because we not only do have a porn problem, but that we have a mighty savior who can set us free from it. That's Mm -hmm. how we signpost people. And, you know, I do believe, even though this is the greatest threat to the cause of Christ, it's also our potentially, potentially our greatest tool of evangelism. You know, we've got to get out there. I mean, the numbers are staggering, but there are so many ministries and so many resources out there. There is no excuse now. Pastors don't have to come up with all the answers. They're not trained in this. All they need to do is just stand up and say, I know we're struggling with this. I know we've got people. Here's a here's a local group. Here's a documentary. Let's just start talking about it and just acknowledge they haven't got all the answers. You know, yes, it's okay. Yeah, I love how you're, bringing out the fact that it's important to talk about it because the more we talk about it, the more it does come to light and what's done in the dark will be exposed in the light. And then the light of Christ can shine on that and healing can begin because if we're called to be disciples and make disciples, we need healthy disciples. And if they're struggling in an area that they can't get free of because it's bondage, it's sin, they're not going to be effective for the kingdom work. And that's going to really take them down too because of the guilt and the shame. And it's going to manifest in all different ways. And um, I imagine there's a lot of alcoholism things tied to it as well. Or do you Um, know any statistics? I mean, certainly there can be, there can be Mm co-addictions, but it's also very, very common to Mm. just have this one on its own, Mm. especially, especially with kids. Yeah. So, so, so it can be because they're all a coping mechanism Mm. and and it's good to draw that parallel Mm -hmm. between, you know, this becomes our emotional pacifier. That's, you know, how our brains got hooked in the first place. Whenever something difficult happens, our brains went, Oh, this will take away the pain. And like our brain defaulted there and went, ah, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. And the cravings start and your brain doesn't work and you go and you fall into it yet again. And you just have permission to just tell your story and be able to share it and get it out. Because 
um, you know, harboring those kind of things are just detrimental to themselves and everyone around them. And, you know, potentially what God wants to do with them and use them, you know, for kingdom work, it's really an epidemic. It's of epic proportions. It is. It is certainly as Doris. And, and I would say, yes, we're free to tell our stories, but I would advise you tell someone safe. Mm-hmm. Don't just tell people because they happen to be close to you or that they're in a position of authority over you, you know, mm-hmm. spiritually. I would go certainly as your first port of call to someone who knows what they're talking about, who's maybe dealt with this, who you know you're going to get sound advice. Because the last thing you need as either the person who's struggling or the person who's married to the person who's struggling is to be blamed or shamed or given just bad advice. And there is so much bad advice out there, especially for wives about just have more sex, just be more graceful, be more forgiving. You know, you can control this and it's just not true. Yeah. I love that you brought that up too. And not for us to put our pearls before swine or, you know, not overshare with people, I guess, just ask the Lord for direction and for, you know, reaching out where, how can people connect with you, Rosie, and your ministry? How can they find all these great resources? So yeah, that's our job to be your sort of number one stop. When you find yourself in this situation, we've done all the legwork for you. Our website is called fightforloveministries.com. Podcast called Fight for Love. The book's called Fight for Love. The group's called Fight for Love Fellowship on Facebook. And yeah, we're just here to love on you and answer your questions and help you get on the right path. Such an amazing ministry and such a need. And so I just thank you so much for coming on and being so candid and sharing your story so that others can know that they're not alone and find hope and healing through the redemption blood of Christ. And I just, I, I feel like it's so amazing too, that you're probably also having those who are not believers come in for help and hearing the truth of the gospel and how that peace and hope is there for them, for everyone, available for everyone. So thank you, Rosie, so much. And I hope to have you on again sometime. Thank you, Doris. It's been my pleasure. Well, thank you, friend. And we will talk soon. Thank you for listening today. And friends, this was such an important conversation. And I hope that this episode today brought hope and empowerment to those of you who might be struggling in this area and that it gave you some resources to reach out for help because um, there's so much guilt and shame associated with the sin of pornography, whether you are the person who is addicted to porn or you are in a relationship with somebody who is addicted to it. So find that hope, help, and healing today by reaching out and starting that process because it's so important to have those boundaries. And I love this quote from the show where Rosie said, you can have pornography or you can have me, but you cannot have both because I've been in this cycle before. I know where it leads and I'm not doing it again. Boundaries are so important. And where she said, and it hit me how many women are suffering in silence for years trying to fix this on their own. Friend, you are not alone. So be sure to reach out. I have the links in the show notes for fightforloveministries.org and the other helpful um, information that Rosie shared in the show. And I'd love to connect with you too. So please leave a message in the show notes or reach out to me on my contact page at doraswift.com and let me know how this episode or any number of episodes have helped you in your walk with the Lord and in your calling. 
And my speaking calendar is booking up for 2022 and 2023. So be sure to check out my speaking page so we can have a chat about me speaking at your next women's event. And also check out Fierce Calling on the Edify app. And I hope you join me next time when I talk with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week. And I'll talk to you soon.